also the people that kind of wanted to implement OKRs, they were aware of the problems. They they wanted to do this the right way. Now, how the organization used OKRs, that's a completely different story. And that's where I think we failed. Hi, and welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast where you'll hear real stories of trials and victories in business. I'm Jenny Harold, VP of Product Marketing at GTM Hub. Our mission is to prevent organizational hypocrisy. Inspired by the proven objectives and key results goal setting methodology, GTM Hub offers the most flexible results management system for mission-driven organizations. Check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. Today I'm joined by Flavia Neves, who spent lots of time working at startups. Now she's the director of product management at Spotify and was previously the VP of product at Freenow. She'll share Freenow's OKR journey. And listening to their experience is like going through the hero's journey. She's gathered some lessons learned along the way, which you'll get to hear about. Let's jump in. Today we have Flavia on the show. I am so stoked because I have another product leader that I can talk to you about product things. And so welcome to the show. Thank you for being on Dream Deadline. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Okay, so we're going to start with who are you? Because un- unfortunate for us, most people don't know and we have to explain. So can you share <laughs> who you are and how did you get to your current role? So I started my career in marketing, very quickly transitioned to product growth, stay there for a few years, and then eventually moved uh, forever into product core or core product. I've been traveling around the world. I'm Portuguese, moved to Ireland, lived there for a few years, then moved to the Valley, kind of went to a startup, pivoted uh, in that startup, created a product, had an exit, moved back to Europe. And my goal was, okay, I've worked for a bunch of companies. I've built products for uh, in many different uh, teams. Now I'm going to try my own thing. I'm going to build my own ideas because I had plenty of stuff going on in my head. But uh, my coding skills were rusty, to say the least. And so I decided I was going to do a full stack course. But again, by happenstance, friends and friends of friends started asking me for help because they had, you know, uh, they had this idea to build a specific product. They didn't know how to really shape it, or they had a product, they wanted to go to market. They didn't know how to do this, or they had a successful business, but they wanted to pivot and, and try something different and, or scale up the team and needed somebody to come in and kind of find out how to structure the team, work with them, ways of working, how to build product more products more efficiently. And so without me knowing, I had a consultancy business for two years. That was amazing because I worked with uh, companies worldwide, many different industries, many different profiles. That was amazing. But bureaucracy in Spain is really, really bad. And so after two years, I said, you know what? I love this, but it's enough. I need need to, to take a break and work for a company. So that's when I joined Freenow old my taxi. Back then, I wasn't very enthusiastic about working in the taxi industry, but they had big plans and they wanted somebody to come in and kind of take care of the the tech hub in Barcelona. So that's what I did. And I joined the company. The objective was to double in size, um, open uh, a new vertical, kind of go multimodality and do a million different things that I hadn't done before. So that was really interesting. 
But when I joined the company, I found out that I had to fix a few things before actually doing doubling in size, opening up a new vertical, reshaping the way that we we build product, that we think product, that we connect with the other areas of the organization. And that's it. It used to be everyone's going to own a car. And now we're kind of reverting back into maybe there's a universe where we won't do that because it makes more sense to have shared ownership over things. And mobility is certainly a space where that's happening. But you mentioned that there were some challenges. And we're going to get into OKRs in a little bit, but there were some underlying challenges that you had encountered when you had first joined the company. Can you kind of just speak through what what you had observed and what you thought were like, if we don't get this right, it doesn't matter what framework we use to get goal setting and alignment going on. Like, if we don't get all of these prerequisites on lock, like this doesn't matter. Can you talk a little bit through some of that part of the your journey? Yeah, I think it was, I remember thinking, okay, I've never managed so many people. I've never been in such a big organization. Naive. I was so naive. It's going to be smooth sailing, but I had that challenge of I'm going to manage so many people. I have I'm going to inherit people. I'm go- I'm not going to have the structure that I that I wanted. I have to work with a lot of constraints and that's a new thing for me. So it's going to be super exciting. And I remember in the first week kind of having this what the hell did I just do? Because uh, I joined several <laughs> meetings and it was the first time that it happened to me because you have that honeymoon period where you go, oh, this is all nice and people are so nice, which they were, by the way, but everything is great and you see all the lovely things about the new company and all the opportunities and it takes a while for you to see, oh, crap. This is not exactly, uh, I found this thing that doesn't work and this thing, and I'm going to have to fix that. At Freenow, I joined, and for whatever reason, I joined, or I don't know if I was unlucky. No, I wasn't. It was the run of the mill. So I joined a few meetings during that week with, with people that were reporting into me, and I had a few experiences uh, that m- made me go, uh-oh, there, oh. It's this is gonna be this is gonna be a real challenge. Like I I can't double in size if I don't fix these issues. So from sitting in a meeting where operations were essentially telling one of my squads, "Hey, this is what we want you to build," like full fledged requirements. This is the this incentives program. It's gonna work in this way, this way, this way. This is what we need you to build. And then the team, instead of pushing back, they essentially sat down, kind of created the, the user stories, put it in the in the in the, on the wall, and came out of it with a six-month MVP MVP, super happy. And I was sitting in a corner, <laughs> like six months MVP? What the hell are you talking about? So this was one example. Then the other one, my first day, the another squad had just released something that a feature that they had been building for nine months. That alone made me cringe. Um, but you know what? I was I was a newcomer. I I had to, I was taking everything and absorbing everything that I could. And so I remember they, they launched it my first day on the job. They went home the next day. First thing that I do as, you know, somebody with a startup mindset, I'm not even sure if this is a startup mindset or just the product mind. I don't know anymore. Um, but I, I went into the, the, the squad's room, 
opened the room, the, the, the door. And I was like, guys, how are we doing? And I saw fear in most of the engineers' eyes. And their reaction was, nothing is broken. Everything is working well. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I know. I know. Otherwise, you, I would know. But how are we doing? And they're like, no, 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 everything is working smoothly. And I'm like, no, I'm asking how many tours did we have? How many users use this? What is, you know, give me the stats. And they were like, oh, yeah, we don't take care of that. That's, yeah, we, we shipped this yesterday. We, we're not looking at that. Uh, but don't worry, somebody is. And I'm like, I'm like, this is wrong. You just worked nine months. How, my, I, I think I was speechless. I was not expecting this at all. And I think back then, I remember thinking to myself, how can anybody, like anybody, engineers, product managers, anybody, how can they work on something for nine months, release it on a day, and the next day they're like, it's done, nothing broke. Yeah, we don't kind of look at the dashboards and we don't look at the data. To, to be fair to them, data was not a big thing in the company. So going back to your question. So, so my instinct back then was, okay, there's something really awfully wrong with the way that these people work. For me, it was more about, you know, they're not motivated. Because I, I, I got into um, kind of problem solving mode. There's something wrong. I need to identify the problem and I'm going to solve one by one. And so I had plenty of conversations that week to kind of understand, is this an isolated instance or is this kind of how they work? And I talked to a few people and I realized, okay, there's a big problem. And my first instinct, which was completely wrong, was they're unmotivated. There's something wrong here. There's They're not motivated and therefore they don't care. They just do their job and they go home. They don't, they don't care how we do or how their products perform. And that's the problem. So that was the first thing that I started doing. Okay, I'm going to motivate these guys. Why are they unmotivated? And I sensed that there was some... Um, it's not that there was this led by fear uh, environment, but there was this control environment where we need to know every day what's going on at every hour. I'm the absolute opposite. Like, I don't care what you're doing as long as I trust you, as long as you have the direction that you have everything you need. I'm here. You can come to me whenever you need. I'm going to unblock you. I'm going to, you know, bounce ideas with you if you need. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to push back. I'm going to make sure that you covered all bases. That's what I'm here for. I'm not going to control what you do, what time you get in, what time you get out. There, there were conversations about people are not leave, staying until 6 p.m. and they're coming at 10 a.m. And I was like, I couldn't care less how many hours they're here. Because at the end of the day, are you going to control how many hours they spend playing ping pong? Also, if they're playing ping pong, do you can you actually quantify how much in productivity you gain if they spend one hour playing ping pong. It, you don't. So I don't really care how many hours they play. So the difference, right, was that you were you are accustomed to having a very empowered, I mean, you were doing it by yourself. You worked in the Syrup environment. You had a very empowered environment. Uh, whereas this is an A-frame. It sounds like a very classic A-frame command and control 
uh, environment, one, uh, where then two, it is very output oriented because you got to produce. It sounds like you had a bunch of producers. That's what everyone's doing. And then add on top of that, it sounds like there was like elements of agility, but it really was shrouded in the cloak of classic waterfall where we have requirements. We're going to punt this over the fence. Now it's going to be in product scan. Now they got to push all of that since the user stories are there to engineering. And then now, just like when you asked, how are we doing everyone after you released? Oh, data does that. And so you just have these silos that come with being in a production line kind of thing. So kind of to tie back to the, the beginning of this, right? So then that's a challenge, right? It's just you have a culture that is really stuck in more parochial methods of producing product and applying that to a digital environment, which we know what people think now about doing this. So in order for the organization to be righted, if you will, so that it can go from six to nine month delivery windows, what were the things then that you saw just observing now from the local view of your squads, the global view of the organization, like, sure, you guys want to fix this with OKRs. You need to figure out how to get this stuff going before we can even address training, teaching, all of the processes and the programmatics of enabling an OKR program. Let's let's kind of front load what are the problems or the thing, not problems, but the things that needed to be addressed because OKRs won't fix those. You know that. I know that. Yeah, plenty of things. And I think you described it much better than me. I'm giving examples left and right, and you just summarized it beautifully. I think this is what happens in a lot of companies. I thought this was an isolated case. It's not. It's we use the terminology, the agile terminology. We do the ceremonies, but behind the scenes, it's really waterfall. And that's exactly what happened. We had executive team saying we need X, Y, and Z feature, mostly competitors release something, so we're going to build the same. And then it was first come, first served uh, kind of uh, structure. So which team has the capacity to do feature X? Oh, we do, because we're going to we're going to finish this in that next sprint, so we, we're going to take that. So going, and this, this was the reality, and there was a, a very quickly work done with the leadership team to, hey, is not going to lo- work long term and at the same time with the the it's the the the, the people on the ground this is not how you want to work that you could do so much more than this you're stuck in this route but this is you're you can do so much more so there were plenty of things that in my opinion and it's it's my opinion i'm not speaking for free now that were missing for us to be able to do okrs and that starts for me with strategy a vision what is it that we're trying to accomplish together? Is it, you know, do we want an exit? Do we want to go to IPO? And this thinking business, strictly business, or from a product perspective, do we want to differentiate? Do we want to become a commodity and fight on on price, for example? Just, I'm, I'm not even going specific, just high level. What do you want to do? Do you want to be number one? Do you want to be the best micro mobility uh, platform in, in, in Europe? Do you want to be the best multimodality platform in Europe? Just something like this. And we kind of had some of these things, but 
so high level, so disconnected for me that it doesn't didn't really resonate with with people. And on top of that, the fact that there was no strategy. So we had these, okay, we're going to be this, we're going to be the best in Europe. Let's put it this way. We want to be the best, the number one in Europe. How do, how are we going to get there? Like, what, what does that mean? How do we fight with, with the others? How do we, what are our values? What do we stand for? So these were for me kind of the first thing that made me think there's there's no way we're going to be able to do OKRs because we don't know what we're what what's our North Star. We don't know. Nobody really knows. Then there was a lot of misalignment. And I think one of the 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 problems of using OKRs for this purpose is that if you don't have a minimum alignment, OKRs are not going to give you the alignment that you're looking for. And They'll, they'll exacerbate. For me, product is product and tech, data, UX, et, et cetera. But then you also have a big part of the organization that is operations, uh, the operation side. Then you do need to have this kind of North Star so that everybody has the same goal. So we are all contributing from different angles, but we are all going in the same direction. If you don't have this, there's misalignment. You're not going to be able to align because... Your priorities are different. On the product side, you want to build the best product in the world and you know, you're know you not willing to compromise because you don't know what's happening on the other side. On the other side, on the operations side, they're very commercially driven. They're on the markets. They're seeing the problems. They're interacting with you know the two drivers that are having an issue with that feature. So the, the priorities are very, very different. And if no matter how many meetings you have, no matter how many alignment se- sessions you have, you're not going to be aligned. And so that was the second thing. And one of the reasons, unfortunately, why the company decided we need to align better, which yes, we do need to align better. Yes, OKRs can help you at a different level to have everybody on the same page, but it's not OKRs that are going to do this for you. You you need to do some internal strategic work. Strategic work, quite literally strategic work to define for the rest of the organization, and hopefully not an 800-page PowerPoint, you know, like deck, that would be horrific. But something that is consumable by the masses, so to speak, where they can say, "Oh, we're going to make investments in partnerships. We're going to make investments in whatever." And the reason why is because we want to achieve this thing of being, you know, number one in all of Europe. And this is the how we think. You all figure out the what. Exactly. And and really explaining the context to people that need to execute, no matter what level. Because let's let's think about a developer. A developer, a lot of people think, oh, engineers, they don't really need to understand the business objectives in detail because what they need to do is actually execute a request. That's bullshit. They're building something that has... So there's two ways of doing this. Either execute exactly what you were asked to do and you have a very limited view of what you're doing. So you you don't have many concerns other than this needs to work for this specific purpose. Or you have a lot of context. You know exactly what the business is trying to do. And so when you're thinking about 
the architecture. And now I'm getting into something that I'm not a pro, but uh, I'm going to try. When you think about the architecture, when you think about the several options that you have to build that feature, if you're going to use this microservice, if you're going to hard code something, or if you're going to build something that is scalable, you're going to think about not necessarily the just the short-term objective for that specific thing you're building, but you're going to think, oh, I might have to scale this in three or six months, or this is going to be probably used by a different team. So the way that I'm going to build this is going to reduce the dependencies. So there's a bunch of things that are that I think the context gives at any level of the organization. You just think the problem differently. You think the problem in a way that allows you to to, to build something together and not just we're going to build this isolated thing that is going to ne- connect to another isolated thing, etc. So the, th- the third thing was um, we didn't have a tr- data. So because there was this waterfall style uh, kind of approach going on, data was 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 not there i mean we had plenty of data we had beautiful tableau dashboards um but you have the data but if no one has access to it can read it has the fluency in it to be able to make assertions or decisions based off of it because of what reasons then who cares yeah and and it's even worse cuz the data was not accurate. So the tracking was flawed in a lot of instances. And that's why, and this is why I was saying earlier that it wasn't their a hundred percent their fault. Kind of as I think as a way of surviving in the company, they stopped looking at data because it didn't say anything because it wasn't properly tracked. So when I realized this, I was like, okay, we, we need to do, first of all, we need to do proper tracking because I cannot hear from a data person in this company if you haven't re- if you haven't done the tracking yourself and created the dashboard yourself please don't trust the data it's like I'm sorry what I can't okay we don't okay so I can't trust data that's what you're saying if I if I haven't physically built it tracked uh, created the dashboard etc myself then I can't trust the data so there was this intensive work that needed to be done on tracking the data, educating people, you know, exactly what you were saying. They have to know how to read data. They have to have data fluency and and be able to work with it and and make sense of it, but also create some baselines because how are you supposed to set OKRs? How are you supposed to say, this is my key result, but you don't know what the baseline is? First of all, how do you decide the objective? Like if you don't know where you're underperforming, if you don't know, you know, how are you supposed to set up an objective or a KR, right? And then, and then if you really want to do the KR, let let's assume that you you somehow know by some qualitative research that you've done, it's it's flawed, but you know you you can set the objective. Then how do you actually quantify? what you're going to do. So what's your key result if you don't have a baseline? Now, think about a a, a, a slightly better uh, situation. You do have the baseline, but you don't have the know-how yet to know what's feasible and what you can expect uh, to improve. Can you ex- can you improve 1%? Can you improve 0.1? How, how, what does that mean, 0.1? 
how, how do you translate this into, or can you, it's not how, can you translate this into GMV revenue? Like, what does that mean? Because what I see and what I've witnessed at, at Freenow, it was like, 1% sounds right, about right. And I'm like, you do know that if you improve this by 1%, that represents millions. Or, because I remember back in the day, people saying, what do you think about 5%? First of all, this is like random. What do you think about 5%? Do you think we can do 5%? And I'm like, do you realize what 5% means in the grand scheme of things? Like, that's a freaking accomplishment. And it's not something that you're going to, you know, be able to achieve in three months where, you know, with the capacity that we have, with the, the habits that we have, there's so much that you have to do. So that was for me the second thing, data, data fluency, proper, accurate data, being able to work with that. Um, and then the leadership as well. I think, um, you know, this is kind of controversial, but I think a lot of people get to management and leadership positions just because it's the logical step in their careers. I think there's this idea that you can you can only grow if you become a manager. And I think there's good work being done on educating people that being a very, very good individual contributor, so a, a knowledge domain expert is as important as being a manager and that not everybody's cut to be a manager or a leader. It, it, it's just not the reality. Just like some people are not cut to, you know, it's not that they're not cut. I'm being unfair. Everybody can learn this. It's not rocket science. It's just some people don't like it. I have one, one of my best product managers. He bluntly told me in the first three months, he was really, really good. He, he is very good. And I asked him, so what is it that, what are your career goals? What, if, how, because I always do this and do these coaching sessions where we kind of assess, where do you want to go? Where you are right now? How, do, what, what is it that I have to do? How do I help you to get there? And he told me, there's no way I'm going to be a manager. I, I don't want to be a team lead. I don't want to be a, a tribe lead. It's, it's not for me. I want to build good products. I want to be really good in this particular area. That's what I want to invest on. That's what I want to do. And this for me is a smart choice. If this is what you want, you don't have to be a manager to be respected or whatever it is. And so I think a lot of people get to these positions and they don't really know what it means to be a manager. And unfortunately, there are still a lot of companies, tech companies that work in waterfall, uh, disguised, <laughs> disguised waterfall, and where the managers feel that if I spend my day in meetings, going from meeting to meeting and ask for reports and give away timelines and spreadsheets and track what people are doing, this is my job. I don't think that's our job. I think our job is to be set the direction first. It has to be abundantly clear what we're trying to achieve as a team, as a tribe, as a department, whatever it is, as a company. What is it that we want to achieve and why? Giving the context that I was talking about, explain exactly why. Um, and then we're there to unblock, to empower them. We're there to hire the, the right mix of, of people. We don't, I don't want the same kind of product manager. Uh, I don't want the same profile of tribe leads. My tribe leads are fundamentally different. One of them is very user 
driven. She's all about understanding the users, understanding their motivations, asking the right questions, formulating hypotheses. I have another one that is super, super data-driven growth mindset, 100% about growth. How are we going to, you know, make this funnel super efficient? And I have another one who is very, very technical. This is what I love about this team. They're all, they, we all have the same goal, but they all bring a different perspective. So this for me is what a good manager does, is bringing the right people together and blocking, making sure that people can move as fast as they possibly can. So we have to unblock them and, and make sure that they have all the tools that they need and then set direction and be there, be there to guide them through the process of building things, growing themselves, et cetera. And when it comes to OKRs, I, I think it's the same thing. It's for me, I set with them. For me, it's, how do I think OKRs for at a department level that allows them to think, okay, this is how I can contribute within my own area of focus to, towards this specific objective. Whereas I think in most companies and at Freenow in, in a lot of areas, it's pretty much, this is the timeline. This is what you have to do. We're going to scribble down some objectives that we think make sense. And then you please come and tell us exactly what we, we do. Or the other way around, you write your OKRs first, and then we will take that and build. So let's, let's say the squad writes squad OKRs. Then we take the squad's OKRs and make the and create the tribe OKRs and then up all the way up to company OKRs. This feels so, you'll hear it. This feels so corporate. And I'm like, uh, this is called process. <laughs> and the reason why we do that is because we want to be very efficient. And the reason why we want to do this is so that we can build repeatable processes. Like that's the name of the game now is how can we get to a point where we know that this works and we just continue to amp it up and we start to experiment with parts of it to say, you know what? Actually, this can be done differently or better. And guess what? You need data to be able to substantiate any of those things. Because if you can't, you cannot convince other people to play along. They will not do it. At some point, they'll be like, "I that's fine, Jenny. I like you as a human, but I can't trust what you have to say. I've got to verify that. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do that. Let's actually be able to talk about the real stuff. So kind of we're going to push into the OKRs part because this I think in free now is where I'm most fascinated. I had heard that uh, you talk where you went through five cycles, five cycles of OKRs where it was, it sounded like it was not working. I'll be kind. It wasn't working. And it wasn't until the sixth cycle where you all were like, okay, so it, it is sort of, but only in these isolated areas, which is still not quite a win because everyone says OKRs are supposed to enable the whole of the organization to align, focus, be transparent, all of that stuff. So can you kind of just, I would want to just hear the story of the five, the five cycles. What got you to the six? Was there a breakthrough and then in, in retrospect, because we're product people, we got to do retrospectives. I want to retrospect with you on, yeah, what happened, what worked, what didn't, what would you have done differently or what should have the organization, not just you, just the organization done differently to make this successful? Because what I'd like people to end with on this podcast episode is 
you're not alone because we know most of these type of initiatives fail. I think that it was the mission was noble. I think the people that thought about we need OKRs have the best intentions. And I think I am thankful for it because I think it opened up the space to have conversations about what was failing. I think it, if anything, OKRs um, just exacerbated the problems and made them so visible that I think it helped me personally kind of say, we need to fix this. Whereas before it was kind of, yeah, everything is more or less working. We do have these problems. So I am thankful for uh, everybody that at some point said, you know what, we need OKRs. And I think um, also the people that kind of wanted to implement OKRs, they were aware of the problems. They they wanted to do this the right way. Now, how the organization used OKRs, that's a completely different story. And that's how, where I think we failed. Because, you know, the idea behind doing this was was good. It was It was the right thing. So the way that we went about this was there was another task force. We we have a lot of task forces in the company uh, to create these, to, to start working on OKRs. So we had a group of selected people, leaders that were going to go through training. So we did online training for, I don't know, a couple of hours maybe. And then we all did this and got together for two days where we had one, one person that was doing this live training sort of so he joined us in creating our first round of okrs and that's how we did it all together very ad hoc kind of breaking in uh breakout rooms and then getting back together and then breakout rooms again and then getting back together so this was a kind of a two-day exercise where we were trying to create the the company okrs first i think the executive team created the company okrs and then we were trying to create together the department OKRs, et cetera, et cetera. And then we came out of there with uh, basically the company and the department OKRs for them to uh, pass on to the teams. So we did this first round with everybody knowing that, oh, the first round is not going to work. We all know it. It's going to take a while for us to kind of nail the process. Uh, the majority of people left the meeting thinking, the meeting, no, the day thinking, yeah, we're going in the, the right direction. I was a bit, there was no data. Uh, it was very much process driven. There were a lot of, not ceremony, but ceremony-like kind of things for me. You don't put BAU in, in OKRs. You don't, you don't use OKRs to, you know, say we're going to have three meetings a week. We are going to celebrate our achievements. That's, that's great. You should do it. That's not a, an objective or a key result. That's just not. And I think there are some instances where some companies in, in some phases, yes, you kind of need to make it abundantly visible that, you know, we need to work on this process. Okay, as an exception, you could potentially have it there. I've been called dogmatic before about OKRs because apparently I come across as somebody that wants OKRs perfect. That's not it. I just want OKRs to be meaningful. I just want that to be something that it's not an exercise that we do to check a box. I want people to actually look at OKRs and say, okay, I didn't this is a good thing. Or if I need to make a decision and I don't remember the what we decided, we look back at OKRs and say, okay, now I know exactly where to go. So um, this is what we did. So first round, this is what happened. Everybody immediately got out of that uh, uh, exercise saying, this is not going to work this time around, but it was a good exercise. We need to build up from here. 
Then the second time, and also on like the teams, et cetera, everybody was excited about this. This was, we're moving in the right direction. So it was positive. It was positive. Okay. Yeah. The the reaction was, oh, okay, we're going to have OKRs. This is amazing because for them, there was, you know, everything about OKRs is bottom up and you're, you're going to, this is a collaboration type of thing. Now, don't forget that we were coming from a, a, a type of company that, the executive team would say more or less what we had to do. And then the teams would sort of work out the PowerPoint where we presented what the solution would look like with mock-ups, et cetera. Then we would go to the, the executive team and say, hey, this is what we're planning. Is this kind of what you think we should be? Is this what you had in mind? Then they would approve. We would create the beautiful Ghent-like roadmap and that would be it. So if for them... OKRs is like, oh, this is an evolution of what we had before. This is great because we're going to have, we're going to be able to say what we think and, and kind of shape the organization. So yes, it was positive. Then the second round, it was, oh, and this was, this was done, if I'm not mistaken, in December or something for Q4. So we were doing OKRs for Q4 in December or end of November. Like, let's, Let's put it this way, the next three iterations uh, or the three cycles were a burden for most people, for the teams. They were like, oh, there we go. We have because then reality hit. It's not necessarily bottom up or it is bottom up. But then people would would go. The first reaction was, this is great. We're going to define what we're going to work on. But because they didn't have data, because they didn't have direction, because they didn't know what, what what we were trying to achieve as a company, when they actually sat down and tried to write OKRs, they're like, shit, what do we do? Or in some instances, what also happened was, okay, they were a little bit more confident, but then those OKRs were completely uh, the opposite of operations OKRs or marketing OKRs. And so there were these super... You know, we need to have this alignment session and then discussions around how do we make sure that we do what marketing our operations need to fulfill their OKRs. So these three cycles were a little bit of this. Yay, we're going to do its bottoms up. And then, oh, damn it. How are we going to do this? Because we don't have the direction. Then uh, and then the reality hit of we are not aligned and we have to be aligned, but we can't be aligned because we don't have a common direction. And then I think it became a burden because every time that we had to do OKRs, everybody would be like, oh, not again. Like, do we do we really have to do this again? And so, and I'm talking about my team, just my team. And, and it would be a bureaucratic exercise. We would have to write something down. We would all know that we would not look back at OKRs because to be frankly, frank, there was nothing to look at at that point. And so there was a moment. And while we were doing all of these cycles, I was I, I had started even way before we started OKRs. I had started that kind of restructure, transitioning to a different way of doing of building products. And so it, it was the dual track. That's when you were doing yes. it around those. Yeah. Okay. Fixing a lot of things first and then eventually introducing dual tracks. So at the third, fourth cycle, we had already a new structure that reflected the user journey. So instead of being a first come, first serve kind of process to build features, it was, okay, we have focus areas. They are organized in, in tribes that are taking care of first time experience, the critical path, the engagement, retention, et cetera. You know, it, it, this helped them when they were 
crafting their own OKRs, they knew, okay, if if the objective for our own, you know, supply is this, then how, and this is what I try to explain to them. Now you go to your corner and you figure out how in your area of focus you can contribute to this. If you can, because you might not be able to contribute to this, but if you can, how could you do it? And that's how your OKRs come into play. That's how you create your OKRs. And so this plus having data, we worked a lot on having tracking everything again, troubleshooting all the tracking, making sure that we had, we created decision boards, we had like proper data, readable data. We had people, I, I hired some people that were very, very data savvy. They they kind of did some training. So like if you talk to other people in the organization, you probably they will probably say, no, but OKRs eventually worked. In my opinion, OKRs eventually worked for some of these teams because all of this work was being done in the background. So by the third or fourth cycle, they, they became better at, for example, writing OKRs that made sense to them. So maybe they wouldn't necessarily be held accountable because, frankly, they they couldn't, but they could always go back to, okay, this is what we planned and we didn't achieve it. So they started th- thinking, why didn't we achieve it? Was it, was it the, the, the baseline that was missing? Was it lack of knowledge? Did, were we too ambitious when we created, when we thought we would improve 5%? So I think there was this kind of awareness going forward. And, um, there was a point in which we introduced dual track uh, after fixing all, because again, I like the old track. I don't think it's applicable to every single organization. The way that I applied it to free now is an adjusted, it's an adapted version of dual track that fits these people, this organization, some of the things in dual track. I, I wasn't able to, to, I didn't even try. For example, uh, I'm very keen on not having one discovery, one delivery team. It's one team. But realistically, if I wanted to move this forward, I didn't have the capacity and I didn't have the buy-in to have the the one squad taking care of everything altogether. And so I think by the end of the, the, the fifth cycle, we had a couple of, um, I think it was, I think a few more than a couple, a few uh, squads for which OKRs worked. Why? Because I had created a supply strategy. So they knew exactly where we were, what where I wanted us to go, uh, what was more or less needed to do throughout the process. So I split in two phases. We need to work out on our baseline. We need to fix, iron out all the kinks, all the things that are not working for us. And then once we have something that is competitive, then we're going to move on to something that is going to differentiate ourselves from from the competition. So they had this. They when they were thinking about OKRs, they knew exactly what to touch, what to what levers to pull in order to okay down the line. This is what we need to do. So this is the priority. They were able to prioritize things properly. At the same time, they had data to to kind of back up their decisions or to help them make the decisions. Uh, they had the, the the tribe leads at this stage. They were kind of these, in my opinion, good leaders challenging them and and asking the right questions and and pushing them in the right in the right routes and and alerting them from potential issues. So I think there the there were these circumstances that made these teams really use OKRs in a proper way. And I also forced them to go 
really simple, really simple. And going to the last question that you asked me, the learnings, um, I think it's a mistake to do this company-wide, like trying to nail OKRs in a 1,200-people company without the basics covered it's just it's just not gonna work just it's not so find just like i was explaining about dual track find a way to simplify your life if i was a ceo uh back then or maybe even in my position if we were back uh to that day where we we had to sit down and write okrs start with one objective just one just dip your toes see how it feels see the difficulty of creating this be aware of the potential issues that you might have just by trying to tackle one objective one single objective for the company and doesn't mean that you're just going to work towards that but try it out see if there's anything that pops up that makes you go okay this if we were to do this in large scale we would have this problem we need to solve this so go and solve that and don't be afraid of, of making mistakes. If something doesn't work in the first round, go back to the basics. If it doesn't work, go back and figure it out. And I think, I guess the, the second learning is, if it's not working, don't just keep doing, expecting things to change. If you don't reflect on what's not working, doing another cycle is not going to help you at all. Either there's a miracle, something happens, and suddenly you become a great organization with... A lot of alignment and a lot of things, or no, this is an opportunity. If you really want to keep going, stop, analyze what didn't go well in the in the previous cycle, which is what some of my teams did, and in in supply general, uh, in general supply, what didn't work, this didn't work. Why? This was the root cause. Okay, let's fix the, fix the root cause, and the next time that we're going to do this, we're not going to have this problem. And so, throughout the process, figure out what is preventing you from doing this well. And what can you do about it? Can you do something about it? There are a lot of different reasons to explain why OKRs are hard. Flavia shares exactly why she thinks they're difficult. Let's hear what she has to say. My theory is setting goals is really hard. It's really, really hard. It's especially in bigger companies. You really have to know your stuff. You have to know your market. You have to know, you know, what you're trying to achieve. You have to know how you're going to differentiate. You have to play the game. You have to know how to play the game. And so doing this is hard. And if there is a framework that promises to make this better or easier, everybody's going to use it. And even if it's hard, it's harder to set goals. So I think a lot of people use OKRs with the expectation that OKRs are this magic bullet that will solve all your problems, alignment. I always hear everybody talk about, oh, we use OKRs because we, we have alignment issues. If you have alignment issues, don't use OKRs. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think I, think I, I, I said it before. OKRs are a language. I'm not the one saying this. This this was uh, this is John Durr. He said OKRs are a language, and that's exactly it. So if you have alignment issues, solve your alignment issues because what you're getting here is a language. Is making sure that everybody understands what you have already agreed to do, and just in a simplified, very easy to understand way, this is what we have to achieve. Everybody understands it. Yes. This creates alignment, but for you to get here, 
it's not language that is going to align you. It's it's what you're going to achieve. And I think this is a misconception about OKRs. The amount of strategic work that needs to happen ahead of creating your first goal is quite impressive. Yeah. Because that means that, like you said, you have to know, you need to know your market. You need to know your customer. You need to know what you do. You need to know the differentiators. There's just, you need to know the capacity, the capability, the operational capability of your organization. If you have any gaps of what it is, now you define strategy. Great. Do you have the organization that actually can deliver against said strategy? If not, then you might have organizational debt issues that you need to recover. There might be some hiring gaps, like key departments that you need to hire for to achieve that strategy. There's a lot of work. And then finally, when you're like, okay, we got our vision, we have our mission, we have our strategy, we have our USP, we know what our you know unique selling points are, cool, our value props are clear, awesome. We know that we have the organization that can deliver against all of that stuff. Okay. And we have data now, cool, and we can trust it, awesome. Now we know that the, these are the problems that are the data showing us. Now we can say, oh, we want to go from here to there or from here to here, you know. And there's a lot of pre-work that requires leadership. It requires, you know, just a lot of conversations. You got to break down the fiefdoms because what if you have issues where people have strongholds there and they're used to spinning a story and now you're saying, hey, you can't do that anymore Here's the company objectives. What are you going to do to help us get over here? And then you're responsible for those numbers. And then again, during and even after a cycle, it's the responsibility of managers and leaders to hold people to this and say, did you do it or not? Yeah. And what happens if people do it or not? Yeah. If there's no answer to that question, no one's going to care because there's no incentive for them to, to be a part of this process because clearly no one is no one is being either recognized or you know followed up after yeah. when they didn't hit their goal quick fire questions for you but you kind of answered some of these first what do you appreciate most about your team i love the mix of skills and they're they're just so motivated and i think that's key for for a team what is your greatest dream and perhaps an associated deadline my greatest dream, um, I think it's, there's no deadline because I think it's a, a little bit utopia, but I would love to see, I would love to be in the creation of all the things that I preach, working, just not necessarily finding buy-in, but actually just reaping the benefits of this great product way of 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 doing business actually no i'm going to change that i think my biggest dream is to would be to enable product managers and product people product leaders in general to know how like to have the skills to do really really good things whether that's from a management perspective or building products i think there's there's lack in in the there's this lack of Petraville does it really well. I think she's a she's a really really good uh, 
She's an inspiring person in, in the field, kind of giving tools to leaders to manage their teams. But I think there's still work to be done uh, or more people joining her in, in this. And last question. So you've been with Free now for two years and change probably. If you had like one kind of pivotal key moment for you where you were really proud of what you and your team accomplished, if you can just pick one highlight, what would that be? I'll tell you a moment where I realize that it's not something that it's, I'm going to be selfish. So I'm going to think about an accomplishment throughout the years there have, I was the very frequently I was alone. I, I had nobody uh, thinking the same way as me. And so I went through difficult situations and a lot of times felt like maybe it's time to move on because I'm, there's, there's no fit here and I'm, I'm tired and I, I, I'm stubborn, like a bull. I'm, I'm really stubborn. So I stick around and, and I, I hear a lot of people say, you know, so many things change then thanks to you, we now think in a different way. And we have, look at all the things that, that happened. And when I look around, I don't see that. I have a really, it's a personal problem. I have a really hard time acknowledging the things that I do. And so I wasn't, I wasn't too sure if I had done a good thing or if I had awakened my people for a new reality and that put them in a worse position. Do you know what I mean? Like, they were okay. And I came in and created this revolution. And now they are struggling as well with some of the things because they they know there is a different way of doing things. And there was this meeting that happened end of last year um, between 1C Level and my team. And it was a contentious one. And I was just in the, I was just there in case something set on fire. So I was just quiet, uh, observing. And I got to the end of the meeting and I felt so proud of them because I never had to say anything. And they were, they were pushing back where they should push back. They were saying the right things. They were challenging the right things. They were, they were, making the right recommendations. And I thought to myself, even if it doesn't work out, it does work out at free now. I think they're, this is a very strong team. They're doing really, really good things. My mission is done. They know exactly what they're doing. They are pushing back when they need to push back. No fear. They're using data to support what they say. They're making recommendations. So they're not just, you know, complaining for the sake of complaining. And I think this was like the haha moment for me of, okay, this this worked. They this is a good team, good, good values that think they are they're going to build, they are already but they will for the rest of their lives build incredible experiences because no matter what framework they work on, they have, or no matter where they are, they ask the right questions. They have the right principles in their heads. They know how to talk to people. So it's really good. And then one day when I had a couple of them come to me and challenge my assumptions and I was like, this is great. And they apologize. And I said, this is the best thing that you could ever do to me in this company. 
and and they were right. And we had we sat down and we had a conversation, and that was the moment where, you know, a lot most people don't know what it, what free now looked like when I joined, but these were people that were in they were respecting the you know chain of command they were respecting what was asked of them they wouldn't ask they wouldn't push back they wouldn't do anything so them coming to me and saying i'm not so sure about that strategy that you created because what about this and what about that have you considered that and i'm like thank you for that 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 means a lot and so yes this is my this is something that I will always take with me and I'm so proud of them. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. I've really appreciated just all the wisdom, the passion. It comes <laughs> through. Like, yeah, thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. And it's been a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you like today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com slash radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.